a blessing to be together with God's people. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Kimberly Rodriguez-Riedel, and I'm the missions pastor here at Journey the Church. And yeah, thank you. Um, I have a question for you. Has anybody heard what's going on in Asbury, Kentucky? If you haven't, check it out because there is a college university campus that um, is experiencing a little bit of revival. They've like shut down the classes. The presence of God has just been very tangible, very sweet in that place. College students are coming from all over and it's spreading. And the reason why I'm sharing that with you is because um, my, my husband told me about, about it um, about a week ago and then on Valentine's Day, as I was listening to the reports of young people confessing and repenting and experiencing God's love, I was so moved. I was moved to tears. And it reminded me of a cry that has been in my heart since the late 80s. You know, I was going to San Diego State University and I had to take this dumb music appreciation class. And I had to write this paper and um, in the middle of writing this paper, I said, well, I was a new Christian at that time, and I said, who is somebody who's written like influ influential songs in the faith? And so I found this guy, his name is Lowell Mason. And so as I was studying about the life of Lowell Mason, it turns out that he was writing hymns during one of the great awakenings that was happening here in America. I don't remember now if it was the first or the second, but I remember at that time, God put a dream in my heart and I said, God, I would love to see an awakening in my lifetime. I would love to see that, Lord. Wow, that would be so incredible. And I've been praying for it, longing for it, and believing for it ever since. And so when I heard about what was going on in Asbury, I was moved to tears because I thought, God, is this it? Is this, is this the awakening and the revival that I've been talking about and dreaming about and praying about? And then my brother has even made fun of me about preaching so much about revival. And so I just, if you haven't had a chance, check it out because it is spreading. And, um, and I believe God wants to capture the heart of the youth of our nation and, and he, not just the youth, but every generation. And so let me just pray. Father, I thank you so much for your great love with which you loved us. I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the ultimate price. And Jesus, I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit that he could be poured out in our hearts and that we could experience your love. I pray for a baptism of love over this congregation, that we would be so filled with your love and so filled with the power of your spirit that everywhere we would go, we would take your love and your power with us and people would begin to, to, to encounter you and to know you and to surrender their hearts and their lives to you. So we thank you for what's going on in Asbury and we declare blessing over our universities too. We pray for for um, Channel Islands, for Moorpark, for Ventura College, Lord, for Oxnard College, and for all the surrounding universities. 
May you move on every college campus in this nation and in the nations of the earth, and may people live awestruck by your love and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. God is so good, isn't he? He's so good. And I want to thank you for joining us as we continue on this journey of overcoming fear. We've been unpacking different um, ways of dealing with fear from Luke 12. And we began the year by exploring just the negative effects that fear can actually have on us. And Jesus, he came to set the captives free. And he wants his kids, and that would be us, to live courageous, bold, fearless lives. And so as I recap, like some of the things that we've been talking about in this series, I want you to just um, enjoy what we've been learning. And the first message was actually about, Jesus was warning about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And really, hypocrisy comes from a fear of man. It's like wanting to look good on the outside, right? So uh, first message was on fear, on, on how to live not in hypo hypocrisy. And instead of fearing man, Jesus told us, why would you fear someone who, the only thing they can do is kill your body? You know, that's the worst thing they can do to you. We should fear God, who can actually throw our bodies into hell if he, if he chooses. And I love this scripture. I just wanted to share it with you. Um, this, is, this is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And this is what God's word says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The way that we, that we receive wisdom is by fearing the Lord. And it's not that kind of a fear like, you know, being terrified in a corner, you know, afraid that someone's going to attack you. That kind of fear is like an awe. Like you're in awe of the God of the universe that created everything. And so when we begin to be in awe of God and, and fear and, and live before him, then um, that's when we, our hearts really start to gain wisdom. Um, the next thing that I wanted to share with you is, you know, when I think about God's word, you know, why, why is it that we read God's word? I mean, it's good to read God's word, but over the years, I've discovered that it's not just about, like, kind of reading it and glossing over it. God's word um, is to be meditated on. It's to be prayed. It's to be used as a conversation between you and God. You know, God's word is, it, it should be a treasure to us. And so, um, in fact, in fact, in Ecclesiastes, it says, how does a young man keep his heart pure? It's by hiding God's word in his heart. And so really, God's word is, is to be, it, we're, we're to allow it to have its effect in us. And one of the things that God's word does is it shows us God's heart. And there is a scripture in this, in this particular portion that we didn't necessarily focus on it too much, but I love this. I love this thought. It says, God knows the very number of hairs 
on your head. And when you think about that, like, like I don't care how many hairs I have on my head, do you? But I go, wow, God is so interested in you. He is so fascinated by you that he even cares how many hairs you have on your head. He is intimately acquainted with every aspect of your life, with the thoughts you think, with where you go, with your favorite color. Like God, he's in love with you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And so as you begin to read God's word and understand his heart and know that he loves you, that that should really overwhelm your life. And I know when I live knowing how much I'm loved by God, I can live fearlessly. And that's my goal, is just to live in that love that he has for us. So I just wanted to share that with you because that, that so moves my heart when I think about that. Um, I think... You know, there was a message on not denying him, but confessing him, you know, before, before men. And, um, and, and then there's, this, there's this, this verse that talks about, you know, if you have to go before magistrates and kings, like, don't worry about what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit, he'll give you the words. And I feel like one of the things that we're lacking in the church is living empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we would really connect in to that power source, you know, um, we would make better decisions and so many things would happen in our lives. And so I, I just wanna throw that idea out there because I'm gonna circle back to it as we unpack the message for today. Um, so the Holy Spirit will give you what to, to, uh, to say. And then there was this message about this guy who was fighting over money, you know, it's like, hey, teacher, like, tell, you know, tell my brother to share his inheritance. And this is what Jesus said. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And then Jeremy very eloquently told us, be rich toward God. And I believe that God wants to break the power of materialism, and he wants us to live a rich life with him. You know, Jesus also in this particular sermon series, he says not to be anxious or to worry about anything, but he says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, we gotta understand that every single one of these messages is helping us to overcome fear. God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live seeking his kingdom, seeking him, allowing him to rule and reign in our lives. And I love this scripture. It's kind of the, the main scripture that is kind of throughout the whole sermon series, it says, your heavenly Father delights to give you the kingdom, little children. He, it's your inherit. He wants to give it to you. It's yours. That's the Father's heart, to give you the kingdom. Just like us as parents, we delight to give our children 
our inherit, you know, the inheritance that comes. We delight to give, you know, our family members what God has given us, right? As an inheritance, He delights to give us the kingdom. So, really, what I wanted to do as I was doing this is really to show you God's heart as we're as we're going through this. That His heart is good and it's for you and it's loving and He cares about you. And then. Um, Last week, Jeremy gave us a, shared a message with us, and he said, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. And so here, God is inviting us to be watchful because expecting for Jesus to come back at any moment. And the idea was to be prepared, to be prepared for him to come back. So that's just a little recap about what we've done so far. Sorry, my mouth's so dry. So anyway, um, what I want to do now is I want to share with you um, the slide one, which is the idea of this message today is living in light of eternity. And I love the quote that Jeremy shared last week. You know, it's as we live in light of eternity, as we focus on eternal things, we will end up doing so much good here on this earth. As, as we focus our hearts on eternity, what we leave behind is we leave this place better than, than, uh, than we got here. So living in light of eternity. If you would stand, we're going to read Luke chapter 2. 12. We're going to start at verse 41. Let's read. We're just going to read through 44 together. So 12, 41 through 44. Read with me. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Thank you, and you may be seated. I entitled this um, message, um, Wise Stewardship. And so today, as we unpack this portion of the scripture, we're going to discover what it means to be a wise steward of what God has given us. And... If you, um, if we, I, the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about what it means to be, f to be faithful. Um, it says faithful means loyal, steadfast, and true. So that's faith, that's uh, faithful. And then the word wise means having experience, knowledge, good judgment, sensible. And then steward is an official appointed to supervise arrangements or keep order at a large public event. 
for example, a sporting event, a person employed to manage another's property, especially a large house or estate. So that's faithful, wise steward. Jesus is looking for faithful, wise stewards. Imagine you're gonna go on a trip and yes. you don't, you're not sure how long you're gonna be gone. A trip, of course. Yes. Yeah, and so you hop on this airplane and it's an emergency trip and you gotta go overseas, okay? And you need to leave someone in charge of your household. And you, you basically hand them, you know, your kids, your dog, your home and then the finances that they're gonna need to manage your house. So imagine you're doing that. Who would you choose to leave what is most valuable to you in that position? You're basically giving them you know, everything that you have. Who would you, who would you choose? Jesus says that he would choose a faithful, wise steward. And I'm pretty sure you and I would do the same. I mean. If we were going to leave, you know, leave our kids with someone, we would want them to be someone trustworthy, you know, and faithful that we know when we came back, you know, everything was going to be in good order, right? Um, I just want to say this. Character counts. Um, and God is looking for people, you know, who, who are faithful, you know, and who are wise. That's who he wants to leave, you know, his his kids and you know in charge of too and i love it how in the early church you know there was a there was a dispute and they were needing to feed some widows and they said let's find some let's find some guys to be in charge of that and and stephen was one of those guys and it says select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the holy spirit and wisdom to put in charge of that task so God is looking for these kind of people to manage, to manage things. So I, I just want to throw that out there in your idea, it, it, that idea in your head. And as I was thinking about this idea of being a faithful, wise steward, the person that God put on my heart was Joseph, way back in the Old Testament. I don't know, I imagine most of you are very familiar with the story of Joseph, and, I, and, and his story is an amazing story. And so I just want to share his life with you as an example of someone who was a faithful, wise steward. So we're going to jump back into Genesis. I want you to um, look at Genesis chapter 39. This is verses 1 through 6, and it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites, whom had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made him, and that the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, and then made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from that time 
that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And thus he, ha thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So, you know, this is an amazing story because really here's this kid who traumatically is sold into slavery by his very own brothers. What an act of betrayal. But this kid um, Potiphar saw the favor and the hand of the Lord upon him. And Joseph, even though he's like, he wasn't like, oh man, now I'm a slave, my life's over. He had this great dream for his life, right? He's like, no, he faithfully served in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's house was blessed as a result of everything that Joseph did. And Potiphar's like, man, God is with this kid. There's something special about this kid. There's a favor upon his life. Well, I'm going to skip through a lot of the story, but I want to go sort of to the end of his life, and I want to just talk about um, the next part of this story, and that's in Genesis, and I believe it's chapter 41. I'm just going to read a few, few verses from that. Genesis 41, and... It says, then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So here you have this kid who was running a household and he was faithful. If you know the story, he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He ends up in jail and then he's running the whole jail for the jailer. And then eventually, he ends up before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, because you are faithful and because you are wise, I am going to put you over the entire nation of Egypt. And nobody will be greater to you than me. So now here's Joseph. He goes through this process, and I like to call it training for reigning. You see, the way it works is you're faithful with a little bit, and then God gives you more. You're responsible for what he's given you, and then he gives you greater influence and authority, and that's what happened in Joseph's life. And I love his story because you can see he, he had a dream as a young kid in his heart where he saw like people bowing down to him. And then everything went sideways after he had that dream and he bragged about it to his brothers. But God what used 
the pain and the suffering and the difficulty and the challenge and the false accusation to train him to become a wise steward over a nation so that not only would he save the nation of Egypt in a time of great famine, but that he would actually save his own family, his brothers, his father, the children of Israel, and the surrounding nations, because God had given him wisdom and discernment to be a wide steward to manage the nation of Israel. May we be like Joseph, wise and faithful stewards over what God has given us. And may we, like Joseph, experience God moving us into those places of positions and dreaming with God to fulfill our life and our purpose at this time. Now I'm gonna jump back to the story Because what Jesus says there is that he's looking for wise and faithful stewards um, and that he's going to put those people over his household. Sorry, I totally lost track of my stuff here. So um, um, we're going to go to verse 45. So we're in Luke chapter 12, verse 45. And let's read 45 and 46. It says, But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And you go, wow, that's, that's scary. <laughs> that's scary right there, you know? But I was thinking about it. Um, anybody, anybody like Downton Abbey? Anybody watch it? Kind of fun, um, Downton Abbey. And so, so the, guy, the guy on the right, um, he, is, he is the Lord, Robert Crawley. And then you have Carson, is, he's, the head, he's the head of all the servants. So I was thinking about, you know, I'm thinking, okay, how can you relate, we relate to a servant? So um, this is a set back in England, you know, uh, turn of the 1900s, kind of fun. But anyway, I was thinking about, okay, so let's say Lord Crawley, he goes away on a trip, and he comes back, and his house is in disarray. And Carson's, you know, like laid out on the floor drunk and, you know, the male servants and the female servants got black eyes and bloody noses and and the house is a wreck. I mean, can you imagine? This guy's going to lose it. He's going to go, what are you doing? You know, And, and so I know these are harsh words that Jesus is sharing, but he's going, hey, you know, you, you should just live your life, whether I'm here or not. You should just be faithful and do what I tell you to do. You know, and, uh, and I was thinking about it myself. I know that, you know, like we said before, if, if I go on this long trip and then I come back, you know, and, you know, and the kids are crying and the bank account's empty, right? And, and the dog's half starving, you know, I'm going to be pretty upset with the person that I left in charge of my house, right? 
So we can understand why Jesus is using such harsh language here. He's like, man, I'm going to punish that servant. You know, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to cut him in pieces. And, you know, he's going to go over there with the unbelievers. So really the idea that um, Jesus is trying to get across is that, man, we, he, he's looking for those who will be faithful, wise servants. Don't be like, you know, an unfaithful servant who, you know, who mistreats people thinking that, ah, Jesus doesn't see, you know, who, who lives their life in a very disorderly way. Um, let's move on to the next section of scripture in verse um, 47, 48. It says, and that, sa- that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do accordingly to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know and yet committed the things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him they will ask all the more. So here we can see there's this idea of knowing the master's will, okay? So if you know God and you know what his will is, you should, the idea is to live according to his will. And as I shared with you at the beginning, As you read God's word, the idea is to know his heart and his character, and it's to discover his will. That's why we we go to scripture. And when I ask Jesus to be Lord of my life, and when I surrender my life to him, and I begin to understand that my life is not my own, and that I'm here to do his will and not my will, And that by doing his will, I discover the true meaning and purpose of my life. And as I pray, not my will, but yours be done. And as I live by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I live my life to love God and love others, I am able to live the abundant life that Jesus promised me. So the idea is we read the scripture so that we know God's will, but then if we know God's will and we don't do it, there's a certain amount of, for lack of a better word, you can see here there's some punishment that goes on. And obviously, I'm not here to, you know, to tell you, oh, you know, you better get your act together or God's going to punish you. I'm not, that's not my heart behind it. My heart is, Jesus is saying, He's looking for faithful, wise stewards, you know? And those of us, if we've been giving so much, we've been, God has given us so much, you know? And so it's like, we need to be accountable for what we've been given. And, And when I think about it, well, what have I been given? I've been given life, love, Forgiveness, truth, 
health, finances, a family? How how am I living my life with integrity, without hypocrisy and fear? Am I living in awe of God, empowered by the Spirit, seeking his kingdom, knowing that he delights to give it to me? His kingdom is within me since he's the king. And when I allow him to rule and reign in my life, I I find peace and joy and satisfaction and courage and faithfulness to do what he's calling me to do. And as I seek his face and I listen to how he wants me to invest what he's given me, that's when I discover my God-given purpose. The idea here with this last part, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Um, I, love this, I love this quote um, that I found by John Stott. And really the idea behind it is that we live our lives before God here on earth. And it says, although we have responsibilities to others, We are primarily accountable to God. It is before him that we stand and to him that that one day we must give an account. We should not therefore rate human opinion too highly, becoming depressed when criticized and elated when flattered. To whom much is given, much is required. But the idea is that I live my life before God knowing that I'm going to be, I'm accountable to him and and what I'm doing with my life and how I'm investing my life. And um, again, going back to the quote that Jeremy shared with us um, last week, when we live in light of eternity, when when I know that God is looking for faithful and wise stewards, then I understand, oh, I'm gonna live my life to please God. I'm gonna love people and I'm gonna bless as many people as I can while I'm here. I love this scripture. Um, and again, you know what, as I'm, as I'm preparing a message, you know, and I, and I just feel like, you know, God puts these certain things on my heart. And, um, and there's, this, there's this scripture that came into my heart you know, in in the process of preparation. And it says, this is 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord, they search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I love that. I get this visual of like God the Father He's scanning the entire earth. And he's like, there's one right there. Her heart is committed to me. I'm gonna give her strength. I'm gonna give her everything she needs to live the life I created her to live. Oh, there's another one over there. And and he sees your heart, that your heart is committed to him. And so I'm gonna give them strength, right? And so, and so, for me, when, when, when I read the scripture, I say, how do I live with my heart fully committed to him? How do I live with my heart like going, my heart is yours. My life is yours. Like, do with me what you will. 
You created me. You gave me life. You sent me here with a purpose. Like, what is it? And help me to live my life fully committed to you and help me to be an example of someone that whose heart is fully committed to you so that I might, leave other, I might lead others who are fully committed to you. And so the reason I'm sharing this with you guys is because, you know, the Bible has a lot, a lot of scriptures in it. And sometimes we, you know, we kind of like go, well, there's so much here. Like, how do I live according to what is written here? And what I love to always come back to is the word that this church was founded on. And it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love others as you love yourself. And if I use that as the measure of my life, if I understand how much Jesus loves me, the price that he was willing to pay so that he could have me, so that he could have you, when I receive God's love, and I've actually been praying this, I had a conversation with someone in a, in a prayer meeting on Friday, and they were talking about God's love. You know, God's love, it's unconditional. And that's who God is, he's, he's love. And, and I, I realized that for most of my life, you know, when I was a little girl, um, I remember we had these babysitters and they, they were Seventh-day Adventists and I went to church a, little, a few times with them and, and I learned that, you know, that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, and Jesus loves the little children, you know? And I, I think that was the beginning of, of me being exposed to God's love, but it's like, Jesus loves me, this I know, it was here, it was in my head. It was a thought and it was an idea. But I feel like what really changed me and, and what I desire for every single one of you, and not just you, but like this entire world, is that that idea of God's love would make that very long trip from your head down into your heart so that you know how much he loves you and that you live your life as a much-loved child of God and that you are so filled with God's love that it spills out of your life Amen. and into the lives of the people around you. Amen. And that is the desire, that is the prayer of my heart, that every single one of us would be so filled with the love of God that that's what would come out of us. But sometimes that, that, um, that truth Hasn't made, it hasn't made his way here. And so we don't know how loved we are. And I was just thinking back over my life and I just remember when God started to really show me how much he loved me. Like it ruined me, it undid me, it healed me, it changed me. And I go, that is what God's church needs. A greater, deep, heartfelt revelation of his love. And, and that's what will change the world because that's what we'll give away. And so um, today as we finish up, I just, um, 
I just want to say this to you. God sees you. And he knows you. And he knows what he's deposited in you. And as you fully commit your heart to him, he will give you the strength that you need. And as you allow his love to fill your heart, and as you no longer live your life in fear, and anxiety, and greed, and selfishness, and as you surrender to him and his perfect will, and as you allow his spirit to fill you to overflowing with his love, life will become like a raging river bringing love and life and fruit and refreshing wherever you go. God is looking for faithful, wise stewards that he can entrust to reach the lost, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to know, to love the unlovable, and to deliver hope and peace. Are you willing to represent his interests here on earth? Are you willing to do his will? And if you are, I would like to invite you to stand. And, and I would like to invite you to pray a prayer with me. And probably, I don't have it on the screens, um, but um, it's a prayer that I learned as a child, and I'm pretty sure a lot of you know it, and it's very familiar. It's the Our Father. Would you pray that with me? Amen. Yeah? yeah. Um, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And there's one more thing I want to do. If there's anyone here or online that has never received Jesus into their hearts, I want to invite you to pray with me today. Because today is the day of salvation. Pray with me. Jesus, I repent for living my life without you. Forgive me for all of my failures and mistakes and sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross to take away my sins. Jesus, you rose in victory over death, and today I receive you in my heart as Lord and King of my life. Rule and reign in me. Make me a faithful, wise steward in the life you've given me, and your will be done in me and through me. Amen. Amen.